Welcome to Keeping Your Together in a Stressed World with Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. Each week, we explore down and dirty ways to stop awfulizing, catastrophizing, going down the rabbit hole, and moving through all the craziness that is happening right now. We're here to create a community of like-minded people as we give you tips, tricks, and techniques for keeping sane in an unhinged world. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. Hey, everybody. This is Scott Grossberg, one of your co-hosts for the podcast, Keeping Your Shit Together in a Stressed World. And we're really excited to be here with you today on a variety of uh, different platforms. Uh, we obviously are on Pandora and Spotify and Anchor, and we've even uh, have now toyed with Clubhouse. For those of you listening in on Clubhouse, thank you uh, for joining us. Uh, it's a packed show today because uh, I'm here with my co-host, Michelle. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Scott. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing wonderful. And, Hi, everybody. Uh, Michelle and I, Michelle and I are uh, celebrating our one-year anniversary today. And we're going to talk about that and what that ultimately means for everybody. So today is passive listening today for everybody. Um, if, you, if you've got any questions and you're on our Zoom platform, just post those in uh, the chat room and Michelle is going to monitor that. And for those of you listening on other platforms, if you've called in, obviously we can't see you. If you're on Clubhouse, we can't see you. Uh, you can, of course, also... Uh, shoot us uh, a message in the Ask Clubhouse link that I left you, or uh, get on Zoom and uh, leave us a post there. Otherwise, enjoy today. Enjoy the listening yeah. uh, as we take you through a wonderful journey for 45 minutes. So, Michelle, with that, um, yes. what's been going on with you? Well, you know, so lately, um, I'm, for those of you new to me, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in California. And lately, I've had a few clients that have been eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine. And um, I will just tell any of you as the, as the if, if that's your choice to participate in that and, and to receive one when you're eligible, some of the big tips that I've heard about reactions and kind of minimizing reactions have been hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. So up to three, three or four days before your appointment and the day of and several days afterwards, you want to hydrate more than you're used to. So that was a, a little tip from some of the healthcare workers that I, I work with. And I, so I wanted to pass that along. But also I am seeing such, at least in um, California, New York, some of the other places that are more shut down in the United States. And then we know that some, some other countries are also more shut down than others. If you're at all able to plan a road trip or a getaway or camping or an out in nature, uh, you know, a national park hike thing, just if that's your thing and you know that being in nature and having something to look forward is a part of how you cope, I've just noticed that a lot of my clients that I've been kind of coaching or helping through the anxiety and the stress of everything going on in life have really enjoyed just knowing that they have something coming, even if they have to cancel it or postpone it, the idea of planning a trip, which pre-COVID, there were some really interesting research <laughs> studies out there that said just the act of planning a trip 
is something that helps people's mood elevate. So I wanted to just like we usually do start off with a couple tips and tricks for, for coping with stress in a stressed out world. I wanted to start off yeah. with those two tips. And, and you know, it's, it's funny. I, th I think a lot of people have heard you and I chat before about the synchronicity that you and I have. Something happens <laughs> on my end of the world and then you have it happen on yours and vice versa. Uh -huh. And as far as mood elevation, you know, one of the things I woke up this morning and we're going to talk about rituals and ceremonies and habits a little bit later mm -hmm. here. But one of the things that struck me uh, this morning that I've been working on with a lot of folks over the last week is not simply their confidence, uh, but the, this concept of core integrity. And mm -hmm. that led me to, you know, we've talked before about COVID creating a situation where some experts have said sitting is the new cigarette. Oh, yes. And, and, you know, the COVID weight and the, and the, my pants don't fit. And as a matter of fact, I, I had gone in for my annual physical and the doctor had said to me, well, Scott, you've put on a couple pounds. And it's true. I've, <laughs> I've put on a couple pounds, uh, notwithstanding the fact I've been exercising. I've got all this stuff that I do constantly. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't doubt that it has been a combination of stress and just some inactivity and the like. And his comment was to me, and I'm not a doctor, but I'll pass on to you what he said to me is I'm really telling people now not to look at the scale, okay. but to look at the way clothes feel on them. Okay. And does it feel good? Does it fit well, rather than have I gained weight here or there, which then yeah. led me when I've been talking to some folks about reminding everybody, you know, when you do a core exercise, we talk about core values, we talk about core integrity, we talk about all these things. People forget that it, exercising your core, and that's not just your, your stomach, your midsection, the core runs from the top of your head to the tips of your toes. Mm -hmm. And again, depending on what your health is, and depending on what your doctor says that you can do. So please check with your healthcare professional. There are so many marvelous core exercise videos mm -hmm. online um, from, you know, power yoga <laughs> to honest to God, just the old school core exercises. And it's not simply sit-ups. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've even read some experts who say sit-ups aren't even that good for you anymore. Yeah, that yeah. there are better low impact plank style variations of doing mm -hmm. that. And the reason I say that, Michelle, is because I find, at least for me, that when you physically feel well, your mood yes. elevates. And yeah, I've never, and I got to tell vice you. vice versa, you know, Scott. Vice, I mean, I, you know, when I used to work in chronic pain uh, work as, uh, as an intern early in my career, mood, depression, and anxiety skyrocket when you're managing pain on a regular yeah. basis. So if less pain and more physical fitness leads to elevated mood, then the opposite is also true. Now, right? I, I want for those of those listening in, I want you to understand that I, I used to be, among other things, on the track team in high school. Oh. And um, <laughs> I never, I never <laughs> experienced, I was a fast little shit. I'll tell you, you? I, I <laughs> oh my goodness. I was little, I was little and I didn't, I didn't grow till I was in college. And because of that, I was just, I was quick. 
And uh-huh. so I, I was always doing the one tens and the two twenty shorts, uh, the short wow. runs because I was just the prop. <laughs> but I say this to you because after I got out of school and then I got back on a running regimen, I swore I'd never run again, but I got uh-huh. back on it. I never experienced that dopamine high that people talk about. Oh. I never, I've, ne- I don't think I've ever experienced it. Oh, wow. I, I get, and maybe it's just my way of interpreting the mm-hmm. feel. I like moving, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'll do yoga and I'll, I've got an exercise bike and uh, I've got all these things that I'll do, but it's never like the something kicks in. And at one point um, my wife and I were, tr- were training for a marathon and it, I mean, I'm trying to remember what mile they talk about. You get to the point mm-hmm. where it's just, you're fatigued, but then you hit the wall and then boom, it's, mm-hmm. I never hit that. Well. I don't know what these people are talking about. Really? Oh, I hit the wall. <laughs> I hit the wall. And so I, I want to let everybody know that at least ex- from my experience, mm-hmm. here's what I've noticed. If I don't work out now, I feel it. It's uh, not that I work out and yeah. love it, although, yeah, yeah. although I've gotten to love some of the ritual of exercising. Uh-huh. Um, I, it's, it's okay that you don't like working out. It's okay that you don't feel this chemical high. It's good for you. Just do it anyway. <laughs> Very good. I was thinking about yoga poses that like for me and managing my back are really good, aren't even about, you know, how you said core is not necessarily just about push-ups, but um, the cat-cow pose and moving in between where you arch your back up, yeah. uh, they call that cat. And then cow is where you move your head back and you arch your spine down. And that flexing of my spine helps it kind of strengthen and stay pliable and flexible. And so that's that's a simple simple pose that I find is really great for just <laughs> making up for the fact that we're sitting so much. Well, I'm now sitting all now day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now that you've said that, I've got to tell you again, tying it in with today's show of ritual ceremony and habit. Yes. Um, it, I must be doing it long enough because uh, when I do downward dog, yes. my dog comes over and does downward dog with me. Oh, she I literally love it. comes over and she puts her head <laughs> on the ground next to me with so her behind cute. in the air. I'll have to have my wife take a picture sometime. Yes. Um, so yeah, we, we do downward dog together. That's the, the that bigger so dog. And then cute. my little dog, my most interesting dog in the world, Presley Pearl, who some of Presley you have Pearl. seen. Mm-hmm. Presley Pearl. Um, we, we do doga together. And so What's doga is that like a doga is yoga? what doga she is climb on your Scott, body? <laughs> sit, yeah. So, so Scott sits in a, in a, a, a lotus pose, right? Uh-huh. I sit there and then she sits on my lap. Oh, uh, so we do doga cute. together. That's super cute. Uh, she balances <laughs> on my leg and it's, it's just something we started doing oh. uh, bef- bef- even before this. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'd go out on the grass outside and she would run up and sit on my lap. And it's like, for those of you who have animals, that's also a way of emotionally connecting with the world that's out there. I know. And, you know, don't, and it's, don't, don't forget, by the way, I'll just put my two cents in as an animal lover. Don't forget that as we start to reopen up, your animals have gotten so used to you. Your I kids know, they'll probably have gotten go so morning. used to you. I know. Um, it's like my dogs now go through a separation anxiety if I go mm-hmm. upstairs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I'll walk back. I'll walk back down from this broadcast. I'll go downstairs. And I can tell you that Presley Pro will start whining and jumping as if I've been gone for a year. <laughs> oh, that's such a good thing about dogs. Like they never have enough of you kind of thing. <laughs> but by but, the way, do, do, you, do you have pets at all? I've never asked you. Oh, I don't right now, but I have been a dog owner most of my life. I will tell you, including um, Bentley. I like to name my dogs after cars. So Bentley, who should have been named Napoleon, looked like Toto, um, but he was half brown Taco Bell Chihuahua and half Lapsu Apsu and came out looking like Toto. And he, you know, could jump five times his height. So anyway, he was my first college dog and he lived about 13 years. And then a few years into his life, uh, when I was married, we got Taz Arati, aka Maserati, but Taz Arati, who was a Rottweiler, Roddy, right? And uh, and the little dog was in charge, <laughs> of course, because he was oh, the older. Ours, so was ours. So <laughs> ours. And he was, uh, so Bentley was in charge, even though he was like one-tenth the size. I mean, Tazzy, Tazzy also lived to be 13 years, which is unheard of for a Rottweiler. And um, they, Tazzy mourned when Bentley died. Bentley was only died a couple years before Tazzy, but he mourned. And then I remember when Tazzy died, this is taking a, a turn. This is not what I meant to talk about, but when Tazzy died, I remembered it was the first time I was going to come home to a house that was empty. So I was um. separated. Um, I had always had a dog or always lived with my parents or always had roommates or had a husband or, you know, all, all of the above at some points in my life. And I remember sitting outside and I couldn't go in the house because there was no waggy tail to say hi to me. And, and then, um, so I didn't replace them replace the loss is not my thing. I decided to mourn. I mean, I'm a grief and loss counselor, so I don't get into replacing the loss. I like to feel my feelings and, and process through it. And I thought, as soon as I can imagine going through this pain 10 to 13 years again in the future, I will get another dog. Well, that took me about seven years. And then I was traveling all the time and I lived by myself and there was no one to help with a dog. And I think they need a good support system for me personally. Yeah. So I, now that I am in a relationship and have been home all the time, I really wanted to have a dog, but we want to get out and travel before we have a dog. But Brian, my partner raised uh, seeing eye dogs for it, like his whole childhood. So he had a chocolate lab, a, a, a black lab, a yellow lab and other, other dogs along the way. But, you know, he's great oh with, goodness. with pets. And so we are definitely, and cats are lovely too. I just have severe allergies to them. So I like to visit them, take my allergy medicine and go home. <laughs> but uh, dogs have been in our family my whole life. So yeah, I definitely, I'm a, I'm a dog lover. And I also dog sit, like I'm everybody's favorite friend because if they're going out of town and I'm in town, I have been anti-doggy sitter so much in my life and it gets me like a little bit of my fix. And then, you know, oh, and in that book, a hundred secrets for happy people. Um, there was a study done that people who are pet owners tend to feel more satisfied with life than those who don't own pets. So it's actually statistically something we've seen in the research. 
Well, I can tell I, I can tell you, and then we'll we'll lead into today's show. I can tell you that uh, while you name your animals after cars, yes, uh, I'll let I'll let you guess. We won't actually tell you. I'll let you guess what we've named our dogs after, considering one dog's named Graceland and the other dog, dog is named Presley. So we'll, we'll go with that. Um, now, the next female dog will be Priscilla. There you go. <laughs> um, and yes, our our little our little dog is the the queen. She thinks she's a, a Rottweiler, and uh, uh-huh. she's the size of oh, a yeah. football. Yeah, and um, my my so, Roddy thought he was a lap dog too. By the way, that's the other yeah. thing about big dogs is they don't realize how big they are, and they want to sit on your lap, and they're like a small sofa. <laughs> yeah. So let's move into for the for the balance of the show. Let's move into something really exciting, and yes. uh, I'm going to let you kind of announce what we're okay. doing today. Um, I love it. So today is the 53rd time that Scott and I have met to record a podcast and to discuss different ways to keep your shit together in a stressed world. And we started this before we realized anything was necessarily going to go on with the pandemic. We, you know, at this time, our president was saying it would be through by Easter. And it was right around this time that we said we were planning a home-based retreat because you and I were tired of running around LA County and, and California going from live gig, live speaking gig to live speaking gig. And we wanted to do something that like let people stay home. And so your lovely wife, Carolyn, when she started hearing the content of our topic and recognizing what was going on in the world, probably sooner than I did, for sure. I'm not sure about you, Scott, but she certainly, you know, hit the nail on the head and said, you two need to do this Keeping Your Shit Together podcast regularly. And so we started. We started last year. March 16th, 2020 was our very first recording, and it is now March 15th, 2021. And I have to say, like, you know, like Alicia is here. Oh, yay. Thank you. Happy anniversary. Thanks, Alicia. Alicia comes regularly. It's like our little community of people that come in and, and say hi from time to time. And it's been the highlight of each week for me over this year. So I'm super excited well, to be here one year later. Thank you. So again, happy anniversary to you. Uh, thank you to my darling wife for suggesting that we do this. Yes. This really has, uh, this has had such unbelievable uh, further results for me. I mean, I've met people that I wouldn't have ordinarily met. Me uh, it certainly has changed my coaching Uh, business that I do and working with people because Mm -hmm. this gives them some consistency and familiarity, much like what we're going to talk about today. So let's celebrate today by talking about ceremonies and rituals. And I'm even going to extend it to habits. And if you don't mind, Michelle, what I'd love Mm -hmm. to do is uh, just start this um, with with a little quote that I'm reading from a wonderful uh, shaman lady mm-hmm. uh, who I like, Sandra Ingerman. And she happened, of all things, to write a book called The Book of Ceremony. Of course. Uh, which, how, how happenstance that we're, that we're talking about that today. Mm-hmm. At the back of the book says, ceremony brings the sacred into ordinary life. For tens of thousands of years, ceremonies have been universally used to help communities navigate change and welcome in new cycles. 
performing ceremonies creates a bridge between the material world we live in and the world of the unseen, the divine, and the power of the universe. Mm -hmm. And I really think that that's the importance here. When we talk about just keeping our own heads together, to keeping mm -hmm. our self-centered and balanced, there's even, and I'm not going to go into all the studies here for sake of time, we even now have scientific studies that talk about the importance of ritual. Um, you've heard me talk before about you know, if go in my closet and you're supposed to separate, if you use the, the Marie Kondo and other mm -hmm. techniques, you, you reduce down, you hold, you keep what, what brings you joy. And mm -hmm. then you separate your colors in your closet so mm -hmm. that you can, you know, pick them. Well, mm -hmm. half my closet is black. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and there's a, there's a reason for that. You know, it, it, when I was out in the world doing live appearances and wearing suit after suit after suit, um, I got to the point of following Barack Obama's ritual huh. of here's the limited, the limited number of things I wear. I know what I'm going to wear, so I don't have to think about it. Yes. And to a certain degree, the ritual reduces decision fatigue. Yes, yes, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and so Absolutely. it's like, I don't have to think about it. I'm just going to go throw a black t-shirt on. That's right. And you know, that, that I don't, I, that takes away from the bandwidth that Scott would otherwise uh, be using. The, mm -hmm. the other thing, mm -hmm. you know, for those of you who are into sports, take a look at your favorite sports star, dig a little deeper and find what rituals they have used. They are, you know, you might call it superstitious. Mm -hmm. And I was looking up this morning, for example, Michael Jordan, nobody can contest Michael Jordan's skill, the intensity with which he practiced, and the mm -hmm. rituals that he would bring to it. But did you know that Michael Jordan wore his North Carolina shorts underneath his Chicago Bull shorts every single time? Oh, my. Um, That's hopefully a lot of regular washing. <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 well, yeah. There, Basketball season guy. is long with a lot of back-to-back -back games. <laughs> And so these are all little, little rituals, personal rituals. Um, then ah, Curtis mm -hmm. Martin from the New York Jets reads Psalm 91 before every game. Oh, wow. Um, Wade, Bo Wade Boggs from the Boston uh, Red Sox wakes up at the same time every day and eats chicken before each game. <laughs> okay. And, Interesting. And he would carry with him 117 ground balls into practice took his batting practice at exactly 517 <laughs> and ran sprints at exactly 717. Wow. And so, you know, th this is the extent to which people, I, I put it in a sports analogy, this is the extent to which people have their own little personal rituals. And before we end today, I'm going to pass on two of mine so everybody okay. has some tools that they can use today. Okay. But I'm curious, Michelle, when it yeah. comes to what you do, uh, right, family right. therapy, marriage therapy, couples therapy, right. uh, I, I, I always thought about this. I know, you know, Carolyn and I, for example, have been married quite a while. Mm -hmm. And uh, now she's had to live with me 24-7. And she's starting to see little idiosyncrasies. Okay, big ones. Little idiosyncrasies, <laughs> taste, folks. You're an acquired um, taste, Scott. I'm an acquired taste. <laughs> That's and, all right. You know, but she's starting to see, as I think everybody else is, you live with someone 24-7 and you start seeing these little personal rituals that people 
have. Yes. Does is that something you can use, or, or does it serve as an, a challenge or obstacle at times when you're working with a couple? Or does that even come up? Am I just bringing up something that you'd never see in practice? Um, no, I mean certainly people have their own idiosyncrasies and preferences, and then some would call it ritual, depending on what the belief is connected to the ritual. I would say I see it as very valuable when it comes to work in the grief and loss world, meaning that one of the only things that we see helps people in transition and in grief and loss is creating small rituals to remember someone or something that is no longer with you. And it can, it doesn't have to be a big ceremony like a funeral or a memorial service, but it needs to be something small and private. I've seen people drink out of their loved one's favorite coffee cup or make a blanket out of their old t-shirts or uh, take the ashes out to their favorite place and just sit with them there. And rituals have been a huge piece of grief and loss work. And so if they help people recover from that intense experience, why wouldn't they help us deal with the stresses of life? Uh, I think for me, the reason why this topic spoke so intensely to me was my friend Diane had sent me an article that I forwarded on to you, Scott, about how we have forgotten to celebrate our successes yeah. So we, we quickly get a little bit of good news and then suddenly we have to dismiss it with all the negative news. And I'm not at all ignoring or denying what has recently happened, which is the anniversary of coronavirus and uh, President Biden's speech about all the deaths that have happened as a result. I'm just simply saying yes and yes and the fact that we have a vaccine available is an amazing scientific advancement that required people working together from competing companies. Like the idea that Johnson and Johnson would work together with Merck, their competitor, to try to help in America get out more doses is amazing. And those of us who have somehow found a way to adjust our budget or adjust our lives or help our kids at home who are on Zooms, you know, you know, many people didn't sign up to be a teacher and they're helping their kids through school. People have had to move or adjust their budgets. And those are big changes that may be losses. And they are also successes because they speak to our survival. They speak to our tenacity and our strength. And so yeah, it's weird to celebrate a one-year anniversary of you and I doing this podcast in the midst of some pretty difficult stories that are out there. And for those of us that are left alive, ritual, celebration, and just savoring the gold star moments are huge. And I, I can say more about that, but th that's that's the thing I work on with couples or in families or in individual therapy is are you savoring the gold star moments instead of only looking at the problems and the challenges? Yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I can tell you that in some of the coaching that I've been doing now, um, it, it has 
transitioned uh, uh -huh. as people are moving through this. And one of the biggest things that I'm working with people one-on-one -on -one is not just trusting themselves and not just learning to trust the outside world again, because yeah. we've lost trust on a variety of different levels. Absolutely. And that, that in turn affects your, your conf confidence. Mm -hmm. But I'm also now working more with people one-on-one -on -one and helping them celebrate a life well-lived. Yes. That helping them celebrate how precious every single day is yeah. that um, I, I think in one of our episodes, we've talked about it. You know, I'm a, I'm a, a trekker. And for those of you who are into Star Trek and, you know, I grew up with the, it is a good day to die from the Klingons. <laughs> we've talked about it. Well, that's not a Klingon saying that that's been adapted into the show. That's actually a native American saying, and I think it may even be Lakota. Um, where they talked about it is a good day to die. And I've always translated mm. that much along the lines that the Stoics did. Uh, and certainly along the lines that Alan Watts, for those of you who are into him mm. and his mm. interpretation of Buddhism, mm -hmm. when he very, you know, said, very wisely said, one of the best things that you can do is to contemplate, meditate on and ruminate on your own death. Yeah. because then you'll learn to celebrate life. Yeah. And, you know, so, so one of the things that I take away from it is a good day to die <laughs> um, is at the end of the day, if you passed away at night, you know, that the old, what, what is the prayer I grew up with when I was little? It's now, now I, I lay, lay me down, me to, down sleep. to sleep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that's a ritual, by the way, that is a, it is. That's, a that's a nighttime right? ritual. So, mm -hmm. so now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord, my soul to keep, if I should die before I wake, I, wake, I pray the Lord, pray my, the soul Lord my soul take, to take, right? I grew up with that. Wow. What if, what if, <laughs> what if that actually happened? Yeah. Wouldn't you want the day of that prayer to be the best life you've ever lived? And so, you know, when you say it's a good day to die, that means is it, and I know this sounds really weird saying it this way, but <laughs> you know, have you done enough today that if you died tonight, yeah, it's all okay. Yeah. It's yeah. been worth it. Ooh. You know, there's a movie that won Golden Globes and is nominated for an Oscar. It's called Nomad Land. Um, oh, I just saw that on, I just saw that on, on yeah. available on Netflix. Yeah. yeah. So I have, I have a group of friends that we get together every couple of weeks and when we do cinema therapy in between our meetings, and then we talk about the movie based off of, well, some of them move into like, you know, I like to talk about the subject matter. They like to talk about the cinema <laughs> technique of it and the ebbs and flows of the story. But anyway, in the movie, uh, Nomadland without giving anything away. There's a moment where she's interacting with an older woman who talks about being on the river with all the sparrows flying all around her. And she's in a kayak and there's even little sparrow eggs in the, in the ground. And she, I mean, not in the ground, floating in the water. And because of the reflection of the water and the number of sparrows or birds that she just feels like they're surrounding her. And she felt like she could die in, in, in peace at that moment. Yeah. And I think those moments are really important to savor. You know, uh, when we talk about life development and keeping your shit together in a stressed world, 
one of the things is acknowledging what developmental stage you're at. And as you get towards the end of life, there's integrity versus despair. And when you're at that stage of life, you're looking back over all the choices you've made and wondering, did I make the right choices to do the best possible kind of thing? And if you can say yes, you have a sense of integrity. And if you have a lot of no's and regrets, that's where depression and despair sets in. And a long time ago, again, at the chronic pain clinic, I had this, I think I was like in my late twenties and, and uh, had this man, he was 80 years old and he had been a a war veteran and he walked in and he's like, what are you going to teach me? And I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to teach you. I'm brand new to the field and you obviously have more life experience, but you know, if you could look back to somebody who was 26 or 27 and, and give them some advice, what would you say? Uh, Like, can you teach me something? And thankfully he was cool about it. Like he actually got into the exercise and he said, I want you to imagine yourself at my age, looking in the rear view mirror and guiding you through all the major decisions that you have in your life and letting yourself get to my age with that goal in mind. And that has guided most of my life since then. It, like I've been faced with a major change. Do yeah. I take this job or not? Do I make this relationship commitment or not? Do I make this health choice or not? And I think, what would my 80 year old self advise me so that when I get to that age, I feel I have a sense of integrity that I did the right thing or I did the best thing possible. And so that's a, a probably a ritual that I would practice when a big decision comes up or like a fork in the road comes up, a dilemma comes up, as you call it. The choice between two things is a dilemma. Right. So if I have to make those as choices. Yogi, as, as, Yogi, as Yogi Berra <laughs> said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. yeah so do I do this or do I do that so that you know if it's a big life decision I think about that man that taught me that that's a ritual of mine is kind of honoring his impact on my life and thinking about my own life with that frame on it um and I'm not quite sure what made me think of that but (laughs) oh it was the nomad land (laughs) comment it's it's wonderful that you say that because as you were saying that i was thinking back you know i i i look at ceremony and ritual as rites of transition oh, rites right of as transition. rites of passage or rites of conclusion yeah. um we're celebrating here and, and again uh not that i'm going to bleed all over everybody but i'll bleed all over everybody um you know <laughs> i can't i'm in i enjoy doing this show so much uh-huh. But it's a it's an active choice on my part of where I'm spending my heartbeats. Yeah. And that's how I make decisions. It's like there's only so many heartbeats that you have. Yeah. Where do you want to spend them? You, uh-huh. Your heartbeats, your presence, your essence is a form of currency. And so where do you want to celebrate those mm, heartbeats? Point, Who do you want point. to celebrate them with? And I'll go so far as to tell each of you something that um, Michelle and I actually covered in, in more detail in our home retreat uh, that we put together. But the, the the reality is make a list of your five closest friends. Just make a list of them. And then I want you to look at the one who is the one that you're always discounting what's happening, making mm-hmm. excuses for, 
uh, making allowances for, uh, and I can nearly guarantee you that that one person is the lowest common denominator. That's not a judgment. It's they're the ones who are always late. They're the ones who always have drama. They're the ones who you fill in the blank and it's affecting all the other four. More importantly, it's affecting your rituals because what's happening is you're starting to take theirs on. And this can be your children. Uh, this can be your pets, as we were talking about earlier. <laughs> the reality is you have people in your lives who you've allowed to control your decision-making and your rituals and your ceremonies. And so one of the questions that I have for you as a takeaway from today is who are you allowing to, to dictate your rituals? Mm -hmm. Who are you allowing to dictate what you uh, celebrate? Who are mm -hmm. you allowing to dictate how you ceremoniously mark your transitions? And if it's not you, then maybe we should have a deeper conversation <laughs> uh, at, at some point, because mm -hmm. uh, at least in my mind, we are all creatures of ritual. You, every one of the uh, you listeners, um, and thank you because I'm seeing people in all all the different platforms right now. So wherever you are, you know, start asking yourself what are your personal rituals mm -hmm. that empower you versus what are the rituals that have been put on you. Mm -hmm. um, I know people. You're you're a grief counselor, Michelle. I know people that will not go to a funeral. Flat out, will not go to one. Okay, that's okay. Um, I know that when one of my best friends passed away, Michelle, you know this intimately because we chatted um, and COVID had come in and couldn't go to the, I chose, I could have, I chose not to go to the funeral. Sure. And then I chose not to go to the internment at another place at another time. Both of them were on Zoom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was marvelous to watch them, but it uh... wasn't enough. And yeah. so I actually went into the, into our backyard out to the labyrinth mm -hmm. and did my own little goodbye ceremony. Exactly. Exactly. And it was a mar, it was a marvelous way of getting closure. And it's funny because now here a year later, uh, it showed up in memories because I had done a quick video of uh, my little thing that I had put together. And it, what a wonderful reminder. And I say mm. that to all of you, because mm. one of the greatest lessons out of our year together, Michelle, mm -hmm. that you have given me, particularly because both of us have downsized, both of us have moved, we both marked transitions, we are celebrating our new homes. I'm in a new home, you're in a new home. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't throw shit away. I couldn't do <laughs> I it. And one of the best things that yeah, you taught me was to take pictures of it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that I can go back and relive the moments mm -hmm. in my mind. I have passed that on, by the way, to so many people I'm so who glad. have come back, who have come back to me and said, oh, my goodness, what a marvelous thing. Mm -hmm, I never mm -hmm. because we don't think about it. Mm -hmm. Take a picture of it. And you mm -hmm. because that's what you're reliving in your ceremonies and in your rituals and uh, you know, in your habits, mm -hmm. you're reliving the experience mm -hmm. and the picture will do that for you instantly trans transport you back. To I love it. I love it. I, I know you came up with the five people. I have one that I, I want to recommend to people in terms of celebration, rituals of success, that kind of thing. 
I want you to think about five gold star moments. Now, this could be five today, but, you know, unless you're like out rocking and rolling by whatever time of morning it is right now, you might not have five today. So maybe five this month or five in the last 12 months is really cool. And I want you to look at those moments and remember what it felt like to experience them and savor them. So this is the big ritual is look at your five gold star moments and savor them. The small ritual is recognizing that from a neuroplasticity place in our brain, negative feedback or negative insults or negative experiences stick to you like Velcro. It's natural for your brain to become obsessed with them. And positive experiences or a positive compliment slide off you like water off a duck's back unless you savor them for 16 to 20 seconds. So whether this is a compliment that you got today or last week or last month, or it's a positive experience that you had with another person, or you achieve something that you feel proud of, I want you to savor those experiences for 16 to 20 seconds. When I shared this with the couple that I'm working with, they realized that in the middle of a very difficult year, they had each had some pretty good successes that they were proud of, but they were moving to the next crisis and the next crisis and the next crisis, and they weren't savoring it. And so I asked them to come up with a way to savor it. And one of their routines that I will steal for you at home and share with you who are listening is with their children around the dinner table, they would have a ritual at night talking about the roses and thorns for the day like what was a rose and what was the thorn. And I asked them to do an evening or a morning or an afternoon where all they did was talk about the roses. I needed them to over-focus on the roses because they weren't, they were focusing too much on the thorns, right? So even in the conversation of the roses and the thorns, which teaches us that there are challenges and successes in life all the time. I love that, that's great. But the thorns get our attention so much more that sometimes we just need a carve out moment for the roses or the gold star moments where we can just go at a girl, at a boy, at a whatever, (laughs) you know, like it's okay to pat yourself on the back and be proud of you. So that's a huge piece in terms of celebrating your successes as a, as a piece of managing your stress in a world like we have today. I, I love I, I love that because I will tell you, I've always personally viewed ceremony, which by the way, let, let me just digress for one moment. Mm-hmm. When you have ceremony, the ceremony is comprised of rituals, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and so when we go through these rituals, what I look at them as is you put together your own personal playbook, your own personal toolkit, your own personal coping mechanism uh-huh. in order to bring you to a point where the cere- the rituals take you to the ceremony and the ceremony is designed to literally motivate you, stimulate you, and for lack of a better way to put it, make love to you. Mm-hmm. You want these to seduce you, even if it's no more than getting up in the morning, brushing your teeth, looking in the mirror and going, Hey, I'm Scott Grossberg, right? I learned that one from watching the, the voice. 
or not the voice, mm-hmm. the, uh, the uh, American Idol. And Lionel mm-hmm. Richie was talking about it. It's not just his, but he was saying, look, get up in the morning, look in the mirror and go, hey, hey. I'm Lionel Richie. Yeah. And it's like, that's a ritual. That's something that motivates, stimulates and seduces you mm-hmm. into a better day. Lady Gaga talked about that a lot. We've talked about that Michelle, you and I before, where she would wake up and she'd be insecure and she'd have all of these self-doubts. And then she'd, excuse my language, but hey, it's this show. Uh, you know, Lady <laughs> Gaga would would suddenly catch herself and go, hey, you're Lady Gaga, bitch. Walk the talk. <laughs> and that was her little, that was her That's little right. mantra. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's like, yeah, just, just do this. Um, so with that in mind, with the understanding mm-hmm. that we're motivating you, stimulating you and seducing you, mm-hmm. do you mind if I share, Michelle, a couple th- little practices that I do every day? No, I don't mind at all. I'd love to hear. Um, so for I, I'm going to start at night because generally we've gone through the day. I'm going to start at night and okay. then I'll take you to the morning ritual okay. at night. Uh, and, and I think I've shared this with you before, Michelle. Um, it's literally you close your eyes. You take a deep breath. And by the way, I'm not going to turn this into a breathing exercise. Go back to one of our first episodes where we talked <laughs> about box breathing and the like. But you breathe down into your about three inches below your belly button, which is your lower dantian. You breathe down into that is belly breathing. For those of you that don't want to get into the terminology and scientific aspects of this, it's real simple. Watch a baby breathe. They breathe correctly. Mm-hmm. Watch how they breathe into their tummy. And then they breathe out and mm-hmm. it's out of these fall. We've learned to shallow breathe too much. Exactly. Um, and then it's really simple. I want you to, before you go to sleep, but while you're laying in bed, think of three people. Mm-hmm. And these are three people that you want to send a wish to. And I've done this example with Michelle before on this show where I mm-hmm. would say, I think of Michelle and tonight uh, I wish that Michelle discovers the root of all happiness that's the wish i want to send her tonight tonight i wish that carolyn discovers the root of all happiness i think of her and then i you know i I see alicia right now uh and uh you know (laughs) tonight i wish that alicia discovers the root of all happiness and then here's here's the thing you take each one of these people. And the, by the way, this, is, this takes just a few moments because uh-huh. your brain works so quickly. I picture Michelle and I imagine just a few things that would bring her ecstatic happiness, a life of ecstasy. What would that be like for Michelle? And I imagine Woo-hoo. that in my head. And then <laughs> I do that with Carolyn. And then I do that with Alicia. And, you know, I know Michelle better than I know Alicia, that doesn't stop me from coming Imagining. up with, mm-hmm. you know, because I've, I've watched Alicia on here. I've seen her, her child come in. I can picture <laughs> them hugging and cuddling. And here's what, here's the cool part of this. Um, what happens is you start to take on that happiness yeah. and you will know when this is hit because you start noticing you're smiling. Yes. There's a shift right before you go to sleep. You know, I certainly know what my wife loves. I picture things like that. I picture, you know, stuff like that for Michelle, three people. Now mm-hmm. here, you really want to take this to an advanced level. You do this <laughs> with three people that you don't like. Oh, yeah. 
but that's, that's for another show that that's something more advanced. Um, <laughs> thank and you, Alicia Scott. just held up a sign. Thank you, Scott. You're welcome, Alicia. I, I wish you to discover the root of all happiness today. Um, and so you, you do that. It's really that simple every night. Um, and then I happen to do uh, Ho'oponopono mm -hmm. all along with that. And for those of you, I don't want to get into all the details, but for those of you who practice Ho'oponopono, it's I'm doing all three of those people. I'm picturing what it would be to get, bring them the root of all happiness. Um, you know, and, and it's based on, by the way, the Aeneas Nin concept. You can't save anybody. You can just love them. Mm. And so I then do in the Ho'oponopono part where it's, I literally say, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank, Thank you. you. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of the closing little thing. And I take a deep breath into my Dantian and I go to sleep. Now, that's the nighttime ritual. The morning ritual is a little more involved, but it's, and it's built around something I call chakra coding. I'll share it with you real quickly. Um, it is also built around uh, in the Jewish tradition, particularly in, in the Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism, there are things you do at night and do in the morning. Um, you don't need to understand Hebrew. You don't need to understand any of that. You don't even have to be religious. It's as simple as opening your eyes when you know you're awake. You know, it's not like you get up in the morning or you get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom. It's when you wake up, awake you know you're awake. Mm -hmm. Take a moment in the morning and open your eyes, breathe into your lower Dantian, and simply repeat, I am here. Thank mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. I'm here. And you get centered. Now you want to take it to the next level. I'll, I'll walk you real quickly through. Uh, and when you listen to the replays, you'll get all of this. So it, it's, you're not losing anything. Just take a moment and listen to this. Or for those of you who are not driving or operating heavy machinery, and it's safe <laughs> to do so, you can close your eyes and just imagine what I'm about to tell you. Imagine your root chakra and you picture that in the morning. You say, I am here. And now picture the area uh, of your lower Dantian, right? Right about your belly button area. I am enough. Now your diaphragm area, that's that chakra that's located there. My power's turned on. Now picture your heart chakra. I love you. Now your throat chakra, hear my voice. And now picture the chakra at your forehead. I am the light. And now the top of your head, it is done. And thank you. I am here. I am enough. My power's turned on. I love you. Hear my voice. I am the light. It is done. Thank you. And then you deep breathe into your lower Dantian. You wake up, get jump out of bed, take on the day. That is beautiful. I mean, though, 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 thank you. Though, that, that's a ceremony of every night you're celebrating someone else. Guess what? It's called gratitude. Um, <laughs> so the <laughs> gratitude is built into it. So every night you're celebrating someone else. And every morning you're celebrating you. Mm. And it's kind of like, this, this little life cycle throughout the day. It's it, And watch how it carries you through the day. Very mm -hmm. cool. And I'd love, by the way, for those of you listening to this, to write us back, uh, particularly if you're, you're in our Facebook group, 
post in there how this has affected you, what rituals you have, what ceremonies you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we've gone a little bit over over time this morning, but uh, what a wonderful way for us to celebrate with all of you for being mm. part of the show. And for those of you that don't know that our Facebook group is called Keeping Your Shit Together. Is that right? Yeah. And yeah. Our, we ha- also have an Instagram and a Twitter account if you want to follow or connect with us. And then if you want to connect with me personally, you can do so through my website. It's Michelle at postinternationalinc.com and Scott. Oh, thinkingmagically.com. Uh, and yeah. we're very accessible to you guys. And obviously uh, we're available on Facebook and most of the social media sites uh, in any event. Mm-hmm. With that, Michelle, we have come to the end of our, our celebration. Oh! If, if we were in person, I'd have a cake. Yay! And I would present it to you. But thank, thank you for being in my life for uh, this last year. Thank you for being in my life, Scott. And thank you to all of you that tune in for, for one time or regularly or go back and listen and give us feedback along the way. We hope that we continue to help you keep your shit together in a stressed world. And we would be remiss. We would be remiss if we ended the show without thanking my darling wife, Carolyn, for suggesting that we do this and being the the spark and the ignition uh, for making all this happen. Because uh, because of that, I think, Michelle, you and I have been very blessed to be able to touch a number of of people. And that's always the the gratification for all this. So with that. May, may all of you, I'll leave it with this little ceremony. Uh, may all of you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. Live with ease. Thank you all. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've reached the end of another episode of Keeping Your Together in a Stressed World with Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. If you like our show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate our broadcast, and leave a review. The podcast is for general information only and not intended to be legal or mental health advice, nor the formation of a lawyer-client, nor therapist-patient relationship. Stay tuned for our next episode, and thank you for listening.